We're going to be over in the book of Exodus, chapter 5 here this morning. We all know that one of the roles, it seems, of government agencies is to hold things back. It seems like a government agency can get involved in something, and what was possible becomes impossible. What was a little bit hard becomes extremely difficult. What costs some money now costs a lot of money. It just seems like as soon as they get involved, they just change things, alter things, and not always for the good. We want to take a look at the kingdom of Satan, and it's sometimes when he gets involved in our life, it is kind of like a government agency who got in and just tried to bottleneck everything that you're doing. Make you fill out all these paperwork, all this regulation, pay all these fees. And really, in the end, did it do any good? Last week we were looking at Moses' call at the burning bush. We saw three parts to the call. The first off, we're called. Secondly, we are prepared. And third, we're sent or anointed. Three things. We're called, we're prepared, and then we're sent. In the preparation, which is the stuff in the middle we were looking at last time, we saw that there was training and teaching. Those are the easy parts. But then we see that there's a stretching. God tells us to do some things that stretches us because He's getting us ready for the sending. And there's going to be a whole lot of stretching once we get out there. So He's getting us used to being stretched. And then the building. Because along the, the way, it seems that we have separated ourselves from some of the gifts and abilities that God gave us and that we need. And just as Moses had separated himself from his ability to communicate, to speak, and God had to rebuild that. And of course he did. In the beginning, Aaron spoke for him. But after a while, Moses was speaking himself. God had to build a bridge back into that. Sometimes we need a bridge built back into what it is that God has given us. So those are some of the things we got into last time. We're going to pick up here with, with Moses in Exodus chapter 5. We entitled this one, The Devil is in the FDA. Now we're not talking about a government agency, the FDA. We're talking about something completely different. But we want you to see that there are three primary, and I'm not going to say only, but three primary. As I look through the Word of God, there are three ways, three primary ways in which the the enemy comes against your call. And so we're going to look at this in the life of Moses and mention it to you and a few others as well. In Exodus chapter 5 and verse 1 afterward, this is after the conversation he had with God, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. Now this is somewhat along the lines of what Moses said. What if they say, when he uh, went there. And so this is kind of along those lines. This is maybe something he imagined or expected. But Moses' words are questioned. They're not received. They're questioned and not received. Now, when you go out and you're going to do the thing that God told you to do, whatever ministry it might be, there is something in particular that tries to grip you to hold you back from it. It's one of the fingers is that people are not going to like you. People are not going to receive from you. People are not going to believe you. But what's underneath of it all is we have a fear. 
and the enemy comes along and he tries to put fear upon us because through fear, he can keep you from walking in the call. And people become afraid. And we talk ourselves out of things. Now think of it this way. How many times has, um, has God moved on you to maybe give something to someone? To maybe speak something to someone? To encourage them? To do something that just on a small scale, just you and another person. And fear can get hold of you. You could be in the grocery store. And here's somebody that you don't know. And the Spirit of God rises up and say, Will you go and encourage that person? Will you go and talk to that person? No, they, I mean, who am I? Who am I to do this? And they, I know they just won't receive it. And uh, I, I hear what you're saying, but I don't know that it's going to have any effect upon them. That's going to, that could just be completely useless. Don't understand. And so we um, kind of talk ourselves out of it. Because fear can get hold. And this is going to happen to Moses. Fear is going to get hold of him. And this is something that the enemy does. He uses fear. He gives you thoughts. He lets you see things. He gives you concerns. Whatever it is, he's going to drum up some fear for you. And he's going to try and, and stop that. Now, we all know that fear is the enemy of faith. And we're kind of accustomed to that. We've heard teaching on that. We've seen things along those lines. But do you know, fear will also hinder the call of God. Because if I am afraid, I won't step out. Joshua was going to walk in the call that God had put upon his life. And what's one of the first things that the Lord said to him when he took over? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Because fear will come on you. He'd been prepared for all those years. Preparing to take over the people of Israel and take them into the promised land. And the devil will come on and try and make you be afraid. Let's go on to verse 3. So they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest He fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Then the king of Egypt, see, they're trying to put some loss there. If you don't do what we're telling you, God's going to strike us. And if He strikes us, you know, then you won't have any slaves. It won't go good for you. Then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Go back to your labor. Now here it brings up an interesting question. What is the nationality of Moses? He's a Jew. What is the nationality of Aaron? He's a Jew. In the state of Egypt, what is a Jew? He's a slave. Jewish people, or or Hebrews as they're called here, they they weren't called Jews or Jewish until, until later. But if you are of the Hebrew descent, you are in Egypt, you are a slave. So when Moses and Aaron walked back in, now probably Aaron had escaped and came on out and met Moses. We talked about that a little last week. So if he escaped, now he's walking back in as an escaped slave. What do you think he's thinking about what's going to happen when you get in there? If you were the enemy, if you were, if you were Satan, what kind of thoughts would you be sowing in the mind of Aaron? Why are you going back in there? You just, you just got free. If you walk back in there, you know what they're going to do. They're going to enslave you again. What's Moses thinking? The last time he was here, they wanted to kill him. 
But what if they said, well, you're, you're of uh, Hebrew descent, you're now a slave. I mean, they had the wherewithal to do it. There's only two guys there. But look at one of the words that Pharaoh says here. Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to what? Your labor. Are Moses and Aaron helping with the making of bricks and other things that are going on? I don't have an answer to that. I don't know. It seems that the Pharaoh thinks they ought to get back to work. Now, that could play in your in your fears too, couldn't it? What if they make me one of the slaves? How am I going to go out and go about and do the things that God wants me to do? And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now, and you make them rest from their labor. So the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, you shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. And you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before. You shall not reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry out, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let more work be laid on the men. They may labor in it. And let them not regard false words. So they're calling Moses' words false words. Have you ever had people in the world call your words false? doesn't sit real well with you, does it? What do you mean this is the word of truth? You have, right? Everybody says they have the word of truth. And they, they have doubts about you. But they react in a way to produce fear. You will notice that most of the opposition that we have in our country, and our country is not as great as it is in others. I mean, in other countries, you fear very much for your life, for the things of God. But here they've taken whole businesses away from people because they stood for the things of God. They come after you in such a way that they want to make you afraid. People who have stood for the things of God, they've had gatherings on their front lawn of people that get there and they give out threats and they, they want to get you to be afraid for your family, your friends, your house, your car, whatever it might be, so that you won't do it anymore. People are sometimes afraid of putting certain stickers on their cars because that might identify me as as being something, and when I'm not around my car, people will vandalize it. People will will mark it up. So they don't be as pronounced about the things of God as they would have otherwise. Because fear has gotten in. He said, let's put more work on them. He said in, in verse um, 7, You shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. Where are you supposed to get it? Where where are the children of Israel supposed to get straw? Now, they live in the land of Goshen. But before the Egyptians were providing the straw. So they had the access for the whole land. If Israel can only get straw on their own, they can only get it from places where they can go. They don't have the free run of the land. They can only go where they are taken as slave units to work or in the land of Goshen where they, where they dwell. What happens if you run out of straw in those areas? Well, the Egyptian viewpoint is it's not our concern. We're not, we're not concerned about this. So all this is creating an atmosphere of fear. Understand this, no matter what kind of atmosphere you are in, 
the enemy will try and find ways to get you to be afraid. To get you to be afraid to do what God said to do. You become afraid of people that are believers. You can become afraid of people that are unbelievers. You can become afraid of all kinds of things, news media or people with cameras or people with recorders or people who might write things and misinterpret what it is that you did or misquote what it is that you said. And we can become fearful. And we just say, I'm just going to be quiet. I'm not going to speak anything out because I've become afraid. That's one of the things the enemy wants to try and do. And he's doing it here with Moses and Aaron. We're going to get them afraid to speak out and to do this. Didn't the Pharisees try and do that with Jesus? They tried to get them to be afraid to do the things that he was going to do. Didn't the, the mobs try and do that with Paul? All the riots and the beatings and the things that he endured? Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel. How many other prophets? There was fear put upon them, tried to be put upon them that they would stop doing what they were supposed to be doing. But here he says, get back to your labor. You guys are off here messing with other stuff. Get back to your labor. Now he doesn't consult anything. Has their, has their work quota go down? Are they not making as many bricks? Are they not building as many uh, buildings? He doesn't ask any of that. He just says, obviously, if you have time for this, you're, you're not doing what we want you to do. And we need to change that. Now, when you are dealing with the area of fear, and the enemy tries to put fear upon you, you are dealing, it deals with things that are present. We're dealing with things in a time of your life that is present tense. Fear deals with the now. When you used to be little and you used to go to bed at night, how many of you were afraid of what was under the bed? What was in the closet? The noises that you heard outside? We're, we're afraid fear comes in because of now. I'm not afraid of the noises from yesterday. We're afraid of the noises that are now. I'm not afraid of tomorrow's noises. What I'm afraid of is what's happening now. This is what causes fear. If you watch some of those movies and the, the kid is being bullied, he's not afraid of what was bullied yesterday. What might happen tomorrow? What's he afraid of? afraid of right now. Fear is about the present. It's about what's going on around you right now. Known or unknown. Real or fake. Makes no difference. Because once the fear comes upon you, it's there. Verse 10, And the taskmasters of the people and their officers went out and spoke to the people saying, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go get straw... Go get yourself straw where you can find it. Yet none of your work will be reduced. Now, I wonder if anybody took them literally and says, you know what? I think I can find some some straw over in Syria. So uh, I'm going to just go over to Syria and I'll be back. I don't think they would have. I don't think they would have gone for that. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. So it's not even the full full stalk of straw. This is uh, leftover stuff. And the taskmasters forced them to hurry, saying, Fulfill your work, your daily quota, as when there was straw. 
Now it's going to bring us to the second area. In verse 14, Also the officers of the children of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not fulfilled your task in making brick both yesterday and today as before? Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh, saying, Why are you dealing thus with your servants? There is no straw given to your servants. And they say to us, Make brick. And indeed your servants are beaten, but the fault is with your own people. The people, are, the leaders are thinking this. Pharaoh doesn't know what's going on. I know it. Pharaoh does not know what's going on. If he knew what was going on, he would not allow this. If he knew what was going on, he wouldn't speak about it this way. All we have to do is get in front of Pharaoh. If we can get in front of Pharaoh, we can tell him what the taskmasters are doing. Then he can change it. And we can get straw given to us again. Have you ever thought that at work? Work's not going so well. And you become convinced, if only the boss, whoever's over the organization, if only the boss knew what was going on, I'm sure that they would be upset at this. If only the boss knew how much work they were expecting out of me and the amount of time that I had. If only the boss knew. And then you get in front of the boss and you find out the boss knew. And he's expecting this of you too. And all of a sudden your hope kind of goes down. Oh man, I didn't think it was going to be like this. I thought for sure. Once the boss finds out, oh, that's not right that that's going on. Let's take care of that. And everything would have been better. But that's not it. But see, this is where they're, what they're thinking. They're thinking this doesn't come from the top. They don't know apparently that Moses had gone in and talked to the top guy. And it didn't go well. They had gotten out there pretty quick and made sure everybody knew. No more straw. But he said, you are idle. Idle. Therefore you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Therefore go now and work. For no straw shall be given you, yet you shall deliver the quota of bricks. And the officers of the children of Israel saw that they were in trouble. After it was said, you shall not reduce any bricks from your daily quota. Now, now we see we're in trouble. Oh man, we had put our hopes in that as soon as he would hear about this, it would be uh, fixed. It's not going to be fixed. This is how it's going to be. We are in trouble. Boy, we thought things were bad before. Things are really going to be bad. I mean, before we were just slaves and we had to make straw out of brick. Now we got to get the straw, make the brick, and do all the other things we had to do. Then as they came out from Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron who stood there to meet them. And they said to them, Let the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. Well, as far as I know, nobody died in that meeting. He didn't kill anybody. So they're exaggerating here, but it's what they feel. And they spoke out what they felt. At this point, they knew it's because of the meeting that Moses had. The meeting that they were excited about. When Moses came back, and we'll read that scripture in just a little bit, but when Moses came back, they were excited. Oh, this is good. We're going to be delivered. Glory to God. We're on your side. And then when things got tough, oh man, where'd you guys come from? What are you guys doing to us? You've made it worse for us. It says, let the Lord ju- look on you and judge because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. If they're asking for the Lord to judge them, whose side do they think the Lord is on? 
So now Moses has it that Pharaoh doesn't think he's from God. The people of Israel don't think he's from God. Persecution is being put upon him to get him to fear. And here we got the second area. The second area is anxiety. Anxiety. You could put in a worry too, whatever it is gives you the picture. I use the word anxiety. And this deals with things future. See, even Jesus, when he teaches on this, he says, you know, we, we don't, don't get anxious about tomorrow. See, anxiety concerns itself with what's tomorrow, what's coming. I don't think enough is coming. I don't like what's coming. Whatever it is, I get anxious about what is coming tomorrow. Anxiety sometimes keep people up at night because anxiety is not dealing with the present. It's dealing with the future. Fear deals with the present. But anxiety is dealing with what's coming. It might be coming tomorrow. It might be coming next week. It might be coming over the next year. Whatever it might be, anxiety begins to settle in because I don't like what I see coming. And the enemy will come in and he begins to sow thoughts of things that are coming. This is going to happen. This is how work's going to go. This is how the people at work are going to respond to you. This is how your friends are going to be talking about you. This is how things are going in your neighborhood. Whatever it might be, fear begins to come, or I'm sorry, anxiety begins to come on because I'm, I'm worried. What's happening tomorrow? And see, now these folks are anxious about what's coming tomorrow. What happens tomorrow when we can't make the quota of bricks? And the day after that. And the day after that. Because if we keep not making the quota of bricks, what's going to happen to the punishment? Is the punishment going to be the same? It's going to increase. It's going to increase. And as the story goes on about this, they beat the leaders trying to discourage the people. You see, if you can discourage the leadership, you can discourage the people that are under them. Because the leaders are supposed to speak encouragement. The leaders are supposed to speak direction. So anxiety comes in. And this deals with things that are future. Things that are still to come. Verse 22. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. And here is the third area. That is the area of doubt. Fear, anxiety, and doubt. The enemy wants to come against you with fear to keep you from doing the things you're supposed to be doing. He wants to come at you with anxiety to get you to be worried and concerned about the things that are to come. Because if I fall into worry and anxiety, I am no longer trusting my God. You see, trust. If I trust God, I don't, I don't become anxious. I can get rid of that. But now I've got fear, got anxiety, and here is the third one, doubt. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Did the Lord bring trouble? The Lord didn't bring any trouble. Who brought the trouble? 
If you go through the Word of God and think about this, every time a person falls into doubt, the blame comes upon the wrong person. Whenever we fall into doubt, the blame will come upon the wrong person. Here were these folks, Moses, probably Aaron too. Once they saw how things were going, it wasn't quite going the way that they were, they put the blame on the wrong one. Who's the blame belong on? Pharaoh. Pharaoh is the one who's doing the wrong. Not the people of Israel, not Moses, not Aaron, and certainly not God. But this is what we blame. See, a lot of times it's, it's really easy for us to blame God. If we have a sickness or disease that has bothered us for a long time, what do people say? Well, God must have a purpose for it. God must have a reason. If we have something that occurs in life, doesn't quite line up with what we understand from the Word of God, causes us to doubt that Word of God, where does the blame go? Why did this happen? Jesus even taught one of those. Why do you think the Tower of Siloam fell on certain people? People came up with ideas. They said, well, it's because they were greater sinners. Because they were outside of the will of God, whatever it might be. But we put the blame on the wrong ones. When you fall into doubt, the blame will go on the wrong person. And once the blame is on the wrong person, you can't change it. Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you have sent me? Now, how many of you know if you had a fiery burning bush experience, that would be pretty real? How many of you think that a fiery burning bush experience could carry you for at least a year? From any doubts, any anxieties, any fears? No way, mommy. I had a fiery burning bush experience. God spoke to me from the burning bush. I was on holy ground. I mean, that's really pretty awesome, isn't it? I would think that would carry you for at least a little while. Didn't even carry him for a year. He's already out there. Why is it you have sent me? Maybe he's thinking back to the conversation. I told you not to send me. I told you I wasn't the guy. I told you I didn't have what it took. Why did you send me? When God spoke to him from the fiery bush, I'm sending you. I want you. Moses, I've called you. Moses, I've equipped you. Moses, I have put this in you. God is saying that to him. He says, Why is it you've sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. And before we pick on Moses too much, most of the times that we feel ineffective in the call that God has given us is because of the results that we see. If we saw good results, how many of y'all know we wouldn't be doubting the call of God? It's because of the results that we see. You look at some of the prophets. Jeremiah, for one. I mean, how many converts did Jeremiah have under his ministry? It was pretty tough going for him. And too much good was going on with, with Jeremiah. In fact, everybody kept beating him up every time he was preaching the word. For since I came to Pharaoh, what was that, a week ago? Maybe? To speak in your name. 
He has done evil to this people. It may only have been a day ago that he talked to Pharaoh. But since I came to Pharaoh, for as long as I've been doing this ministry, God, how long have you been doing it? Well, at least a day. For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Whose name is he speaking? In God's name. Now let me paraphrase this for you in another, in another way. For God, for as long as I have answered this call and I have done what you said to do, I've had nothing but trouble. Nobody likes me. Nobody's helping me. For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. When you get in an area of doubt, doubt is almost always dealing with areas of the past. It is dealing with things from the past. What does Moses do? He doubts that God called him. He doubts the purpose of God. He doubts where all this trouble is coming from. All these things are in the past. They've already happened. But they're creating doubts in him. If the the enemy is going to cause doubts, he's going to do it with things that have already occurred in your life. He's going to create anxieties. He's going to do it through things that haven't occurred yet. And if he's going to create fear, he's going to do it with things that are around you right now. You see, fear, doubt, and anxiety. They may not be the only means for which He will come against you. But they sure are our primary three. These are the big ones. And generally, He can knock people out with this. He doesn't need all three to be going on. He doesn't need you to give in to all three. But if He can get one of them in there, He can do pretty well. Now then the Lord starts to talk. This is the good stuff. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will let them go. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of this land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But but by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, in which they were strangers. He's given them the foundation here. See, whenever the devil wants to get you into fear, into doubt, and into anxiety, he wants to move you off your foundation. And your foundation is what God has said. That's your foundation. You've always got to come back to What did God say? What did God say in His Word? What did God say to me? Every time that fear, doubt, and anxiety tries to come upon me to keep me from doing the call of God. Because you see, the purpose that God has, He has put a call on the inside of you. And now, He's going to pull that out. But the devil doesn't like that. He wants to pull some other things out. And if the devil can pull out fear... If he can pull out doubt and if he can pull out anxiety, he's going to do that 
just like we went over with you with bad seeds. He's going to first off plant the seeds. He's going to put some thoughts in your head. He's going to have you perceive or see some things. And He's going to use those to pull out of you some fear. To reap a harvest of doubt. Or a harvest of anxiety. Because if He can get any of those three in in there, and there might be other areas too, but again, these are the main ones. If He can get these things working in you, He's going to keep you from doing what God wants you to do. You see, now you got this powerful man, Moses, called of God, burning bush experience, given help with Aaron, here before Pharaoh, and now he's cowering. Who am I? Why did you send me? I told you not to send me. I'm no good at this. I told you I wouldn't succeed. I did my best. I did everything I could. It's just, it's, it's not coming about. Have you ever felt like going to God with that? God, I gave it my best. I did everything I could. It just didn't work. I'm just, I'm just not your, I'm not your person. I'm not somebody who can pull this off. I was hoping I was. You know, I wanted to just because you wanted me to, but whenever these things come in, the first thing you got to do is go back to the foundation. Go back to God's Word. What did God promise? What did God say? What did God speak to you? you got to know these things. That's the first thing he does. Secondly, he's going to recognize the circumstances. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. In other words, I see what's going on. Now, how many times have you spent time in prayer telling God what's going on in your life? We don't need to, do we? Because God already knows. But we'll still spend some time. God, I, I need to let you know what's happening today. No, God already knows about it. But we get like the children of Israel and we think, I've got to tell God how bad things are. Do you see how they treated me? Do you see how they spoke to me? Do you see how they didn't receive this from me? He says, I've heard the groaning of the children of Israel whom the Egyptians keep in bondage and I have remembered my covenant. Now he goes on from there because God has a vision. Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. In other words, use his special name. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they didn't get to use his name. Use my name. I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will rescue you from their bondage and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. So God speaks to help Moses get past all the things in his past, all the things in his present, and all the things he anticipates in his future. But there are five things that we must remain mindful of if we're going to continue on with the call of God despite what the enemy wants to try and throw at us. Here's the first thing. Who he is. First thing you've got to do is keep in mind who he is. That's what he talks about with Moses. Moses, this is my name. This is my name. No one else has this name. 
No one else is called Lord. No one else uses this particular name. This is me. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God who's going to bring you out. He goes over who he is. We got to go over who is the God that we serve. Don't forget who the God that we serve is. That's the first thing. Who he is. Secondly, what he has said. You got to know who he is and you got to remember what he has said. That's why we keep constantly reading over the Word of God. Every year we have you go back through and read the New Testament again and read it again. And many of you are reading other parts of the Word of God. And that's good. You got to keep going over what it is he has said. We have to know who he is and what he has said. Third, you've got to know that he knows your circumstances. He knows your circumstances. He knows. Whatever you're going through, whatever's happening, God knows. He knows. No surprises. Don't think that God has forgotten you. If he's counting hairs on people's heads, he knows what we're going through. That he knows your circumstances. That he remembers. He remembers. He remembers the things that he says. He remembers the things that he promises. He remembers what he will do. He remembers the call he put on your life. He remembers the future that he has said would be yours. Know that he remembers. And lastly, that he fulfills. Know that he knows your circumstances, that he remembers, and that he fulfills. Whatever God said, he will fulfill it. So, verse 9. Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel, but they did not heed Moses because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. Anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. Anguish of spirit, folks, is what's going on on the inside. That's what's going on on the inside of you. They could not heed the words of Joseph, or the Moses of, of Moses, because of anguish of spirit. What was going on on the inside? Do you know that sometimes what is going on the inside hinders you from hearing the word of God that comes to your ears? That's why the word of God says, for him who has ears to hear, let him hear. Because what's going on on the inside of you can hinder you from hearing. Anguish of spirit, he says. And what's the other one? Cruel bondage. That's what's going on on the outside. Because what's going on on the inside and what's going on on the outside can hinder you from hearing the words of God. Can hinder you from hearing what God is speaking to you about your call, about your life, about your purpose can hinder you. You have to get past what's going on on the inside and what's going on on the outside. The people of Israel couldn't do it and therefore they couldn't heed the words of Moses. Moses had to do the same thing. He had to get himself to the spot where he was not giving in to that anguish on the inside or the cruel bondage that was going on on the outside. He had to get past all that. 
And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the children of Israel go out of his land. And Moses spoke before the Lord saying, The children of Israel have not heeded me. How then shall Pharaoh heed me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. Here's the uh, talking thing again. In other words, I went to, I went to the people that are on our side. And they wouldn't hear me. How am I going to go into the enemy? How am I going to speak to, to them? And sometimes we think this. I've gone to believers and believers won't hear me. How are the unsaved going to hear me? How's that going to happen? This is where Moses is at. He's given in to the things going on on the outside. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a command for the children of Israel and for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Now Moses deals quite a bit with this anguish that he's going through. He goes through quite a bit of all this pain that he's he's having, all the all the fear, all the doubt, all the anxiety. All this stuff is coming into play. But once he gets past this, he doesn't look back. He keeps on going. And he got stronger and stronger and stronger. Here's something really interesting to see. When was, when was Moses called to the work of being a deliverer? Moses was called when he was about 40 years old. When was Moses sent? When he was 80 years old. A week or two before this whole thing happened. It wasn't very long. However long it took him to get from where he was down to here and get before Pharaoh. It wasn't all that long. And then from here, you're going to see this man Moses. He's going to grow. He's going to become steady. But you see, he's already, he's already been sent. Know this, folks. Once you have been sent into the ministry that God has for you, you're still being developed. God will still bring you along. You're not a finished product yet. Thank God for that, right? As long as we stay in a place where God can speak to us, we don't give in to the anguish on the inside, the cruel bondage on the outside, don't do it. Because when you get involved in ministry, Here's some of the things that the enemy is going to try and, and, and do to you. You get out there and you start ministering to believers. How many have ever had persecution come from believers? All right. People have had that. How many have ever thought this once persecution came from believers? I don't need this. What do they think? I'm here doing this for my own good? <laughs> I don't need this kind of stuff. I can go and be a Christian on my own. And we see a lot of people in the body of Christ who have church by themselves and won't go out into church because they've been damaged. Because they had this anguish going on the inside, cruel bondage on the outside. And they gave into it. I want you to know something. If Jesus wasn't spared, neither will you. You're going to get persecution like Paul did from people who profess to be Christians. You're going to get persecution from people that seem to be pretty high up in the body of Christ. 
That's all right. But here's another pitfall that we can come into. I am the only one who hears from God. Whenever somebody comes and speaks something against me, that's just persecution, and I won't listen to it. Well, see, now you're going down another pitfall, and you're going to have some more troubles. No, there's got to be people in your life that can speak into it that you receive instruction from because we're not a finished product. Moses is still not a finished product. He has to be developed in this area of the calling. But God called you. Whom He called, He equipped. If He's equipped you, He's going to bring that equipping out. He's going to bring that calling out. you got to trust Him. He's going to do it. It's going to be good. Sometimes you need to just look yourself in the mirror when you get up and not speak about all the persecution you get, not about all the anguish on the inside, all the cruel bondage on the outside. you got to get up there and say, Father God, I thank you that I have another day to serve you. I thank you that you were going to send people my way to help me in this ministry and develop me even more. And just speak, begin to speak positively about the things that are going on. Not just about how things are. So they were hindered from listening to Moses. Now he spoke the words of God. But they, uh, they still were hindered. Now if you compare this to Exodus chapter 4 and verse 30. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people. You know, with the uh, leprosy and the snake. So the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel. And that he had looked on their affliction. That they bowed their heads and worshipped. They're on board. In chapter 4, verse 30 and 31, the children of Israel are on board. When did they get off? In chapter 5. They got on board in chapter 4. Moses comes and says, Hey, God sent me. I'm the deliverer. He did the signs. Oh, wow, that's cool. Staff turns into a snake. Leprosy on the hand. This is, this is obviously a sign from God. Alright, we're with you. God's with you. We're with you. And then things didn't quite work out they wanted, the way they wanted. They wanted him to go in, say, Pharaoh, let my people go. He says, oh, I knew this day was coming. Alright. We'll let them go. It didn't work that way. Things got worse. And one of the things that they said, he said, you have caused us to be abhorrent in the Egyptians' eyes. Really? They liked you before? And sometimes our grip on reality is not real good, folks. So as we told you, the devil is in the FDA. He's in fear. He's in doubt. He's in anxiety. But I put this in there. God's in the PDA. Three things, folks. He plans. He develops. And puts it into action. The devil is out to put fear, doubt, and anxiety in your life to keep you from doing the things that God has. But God plans, He develops, and He puts it into action. Whatever God has called you to do, He has planned how it will come about. He's planned for it. He develops that calling on the inside of you. And He has a plan of action to do that. He did that with Moses. He had a plan for Moses. Moses didn't follow it initially, but God still got him back on the plan. He developed him. 
and a plan of action. Now, I don't know about you. When I was growing up, it's probably not even on TV anymore. If it was, I'd probably still record some of them and watch it. How many have ever watched, watched the uh, A-Team? Anybody not know what the A-Team is? All right. A couple people have to go home and do some homework. Got to go home and watch the A-Team. Now, I know they made a movie about it, and the movie was okay. It was a, it was a good movie. But the original cast of characters were just out of this world good. They just seemed like they were developed for for this. I mean, there is no Murdoch like Murdoch in the original. He just was the best Murdoch that was out there. And, then, of course, they had Face Man, and he was the con artist, and then they had the Mr. T. He's the muscles. And then, of course, the brains behind it all, Hannibal Smith. Hannibal's not his real name. He adopted that name because he liked Hannibal the general. And he liked the plans and the things that he was able to, to do with that. So he has that that as a name. But one of the signatures of this show is that they would have a plan. The plan would fall apart. And things would happen in such a way, you know, they would get caught. They'd be put in jail. They would All kinds of things would, would come about. But always, Hannibal's response was, I love it when a plan comes together. He'd always say that at the end of the movies. Always say that at the end of the movies. I love it when a plan comes together. Now they're looking at this thing. You know the plan fell apart. You know this is not what was supposed to happen. That it happened. This is not where we're supposed to go. What are we going to do? He just smiles the whole time. I've, not, I've only seen him in one other show. The, the guy who played Hannibal. I don't even know what his name is. I did know what his name was. I just don't. There you go. He was in a Matlock one time. And he was the featured guy in Matlock. Matlock wasn't even in, barely in the, in the show, even though it was his show. We just kind of showed this guy. He was, he was good in that one too. But just always smiling. Just, you're not going to get him upset. You're not going to get him sad. Because no matter what, the plan's going to work. We're going to get this thing about. But you see, the enemy wants to get you to think, the plan's been messed up. You ought to adapt those, uh, the language that we had. I love it when a plan comes together. You see, God has a plan for your life. He has a way to bring this thing back. God has a way. Satan wants to draw the worst out of you. He wants to take every bit of bad that he can sow in you and he wants to bring it out of you. And he's going to do it through fear, through doubt, and through anxiety. But you see, God has put good things on the inside of you. God has deposited good seeds. He has deposited a good plan, a good call. He's got a way to bring all this stuff about. But you've got to trust him. The enemy does not want you to trust him. The enemy wants you to doubt. I had this quote for you. It is never safe to look into the future with the eyes of fear. That was from E.H. Harriman. It is never safe to look into the future with the eyes of fear. But that's what the enemy wants you to do. Did Israel look into the future when they came to the promised land the first time? And with fear 
decided they can't go in? Don't look into the future with fear. Be like Jesus, who looked at the future going into the cross. Death and resurrection. He didn't look at it with fear. He knew it was going to be hard. He knew it was going to be difficult. But he didn't look at it with fear. The enemy is going to try and bring the worst out of you. But God can draw out of you what he put in you. Don't just think because God called you that instantly it's going to happen. It needs to be drawn out. And God knows how to do it. If it was automatic, Moses wouldn't have been on the backside of the wilderness an extra 30 years. He would have been in there doing the call of God at 400 years of the captivity, not 430. What has God called you to do? What has the enemy, through fear and doubt and anxiety, tried to detour you on and try to move you in a different direction? Try to make you think that God's not going to do it, God can't do it, whatever it might be. Fear, doubt, and anxiety. Don't let these things take you over. Would you all stand up with me? Here this morning we have our communion Sunday. Ask our ushers to come. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, on the night that he took the bread and the cup, he didn't look to this event and say things out of his mouth, words out of his mouth based on fear. He didn't speak words based on anxiety. He didn't speak words that were doubting what God had said. But he spoke words that were in the direction that God has a plan, God has developed that plan, and God puts that plan into action. When you go through life, you're going to have the choice to speak words of fear, doubt and anxiety or to speak words based on the plan the development and that God is a God of action which direction are you going to go glory to God on the night that Jesus was betrayed took the bread and he broke it before supper began he said this represents my body which is broken for you guys this is the plan the curse of the law sickness and disease it's not for you to bear but I'm going to bear it here in my body as we eat together let's remember what he bore for us
The same night after supper, he took the cup and he said, this represents my blood which is shed for you. His body was broken for us. His blood was shed. No longer blood that would just cover up sin, but blood that would pay the price. As we drink together today, let's remember all we need for forgiveness is what God has done. Strength. Glory to God. Let's bow our heads in prayer. There head bowed, no one looking around. Have you felt that fear, doubt, or anxiety has crept in to keep you from the call of God? keep you discouraged from going in the direction that God has told you He would take you. You can say that fear, doubt, anxiety, we know how this comes against our faith, believing things for finances, believing things for healing, but it comes against your call as well. one of these three or more of them have gotten into your life and are keeping you from pursuing the call the way that you should, raise your hand. Father God, I realize the enemy has gotten in on this one. But we're going to turn it around. Father God, you see the hands that are lifted. I thank you that you help us. That you don't want these things to overcome us. And even if they have, just as Moses came to you and you gave him words to bring him out, you'll do the same for us. But we have to be open to those words and receive them. And as the children of Israel wouldn't receive the words of Moses, can't be like that. We have to be like Moses who received the words of God. I thank you for it. We give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory to God. I got surprised. I got Brother Keith over here. I wasn't expecting to have him today. So I didn't give him the stuff beforehand. But I got some things up here. Um, we have... Uh, I had something from uh, Sister in tow. We talked about some mission trips that she had gone on. Well, she has another one she's going on in February. But the time for the for sewing into it is uh, uh, this month and next month. I think the last payment has to be in by November. So if anyone wants to give to this, I believe each one, it was it $600 for each, each month still to go? Yeah, $600 for each, each month. So if anyone wants to give to, to that, we talked about before, just, uh, uh, write on the envelope in the weeks to come, uh, uh for Sister Ento. And if you want to make a pledge for something that will come in the, in the months uh, that come after that, feel free to do that as well. And we'll make sure that she gets it in, in time and to be able to do all that. But she's, um, is India that you're going to? India is the country she's, she's uh, heading out to. So if you'd like to have a part of that, that will be be going on there at that. 
Um, I meant to check in with some of our folks from Wednesday nights. We have a holiday on Monday. And being a holiday on Monday, I don't know if that's going to affect any of you on Wednesday. So you folks who come out on Wednesday, uh, you let me know on your way out if that's going to affect you coming out on Wednesday because uh, you know, I don't want to make it be torn for you. If uh, it's a, if it's difficult, that's fine. we got some, about half the Wednesday night crowd now comes on Thursdays too. So uh, just just let me know. I don't get offended one way or the other, but it's just it's easier when at least some people are here than when it's just a handful to uh, to go through that. And this this next one, we got some fun stuff in here with Moses and and his parents, and we'll make sure that you have a opportunity for that. My wife has an announcement here to do at the end here too. But brother brother Keith, come on, you can go ahead and do the rest of the rest of these. Since I see you have some, and I have some. Good morning. Hey, I got one minute to say good morning. Good morning. I like good morning. You know, our God is a great big God. You know, instead of being discouraged, if we rehearse God and understand that he is a great big God, those things that we think aren't going to work out will work out. We need to rehearse God. Uh, Chels, you have something for us this morning, right? So I know it's been a few weeks uh, since we've been back from Bethel, but I just did want to take a minute to thank everyone for your support while the three of us went out there and just to give a little bit of the testimony. Um, Actually, I think the coolest part that I want to talk about the most is how God got us there in the first place. I mean, obviously, really amazing things happened while we were there, but just how everything fell into place was really cool, and I just wanted to share that with you guys. So just a little bit of backstory. Before we left for Reading, um, I was in a pretty rough spot, not feeling a whole lot of joy about anything in my life, my job, my living situation, my relationships, um, and just kind of lost a little bit of hope that things were going to get better because it had been that way for so long that I was, or felt like it had been that way for so long. Um, that I was starting to just kind of lose a little bit of hope. And I was, like, begging God to remove me from the situations that I was in. Um, and I would take it, you know, I was in fervent prayer about everything that was going on, but nothing was changing. So at about, this was the end of the school year, last year. It was the beginning of June. I get to work, and I sit down at my computer um, to open up my lesson plans for the day and get started. And <laughs> the thought just came up in my head. I wonder if Bethel has a music school. Completely random. Like 6 o'clock in the morning, this is the thought that I get when I'm you know, starting my day. So I Google it, and um, there it is. It exists. I didn't even know it existed. So I start reading over the website, and I get so excited. Just everything in my heart is yearning to go, you know, be a part of this thing that I'm reading about and, you know, just just knew, just figured out was actually a thing. So uh, I was really excited, but I read the page and it was a lot of money and, um, you know, I was like, oh, that's a little bit too much. And then I saw the school was actually full. So I was like, okay, well, maybe not, you know, I'll apply earlier next year. And I closed the page. But then I just couldn't let it go. I just like my 
my spirit was just it just kept coming up so I try, I was trying to do work but I just it was just about a minute I opened the page back up and I put myself on the wait list and then I texted Allie that day and I you know I said so I did a thing I applied you know I put myself on the wait list for for music school and at Bethel she said oh my gosh I've been praying about the same thing all morning so um you know we're waiting we're like looking to hear to see what's happening. And my spirit is really expectant. I'm like looking every day for an email, like, I'm gonna get the email, I'm gonna get the email, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna get admitted. And it was a few weeks, and I, eventually my expectations started to go like this. And I was like, okay, well maybe it's not happening this summer, but I'll apply earlier and we'll get in next summer. Um, and so I had kind of given up hope a little bit that it was gonna work out for this summer. But then, um, you know, <laughs> Allie texted me and she goes, did you get the email from Bethel? So all of a sudden, I'm real excited and I open my email and there it is. We were invited to apply. So this is like the 23rd. It had, again, it, again, it had been a few weeks. Um, and I just laugh when I got the email. Like I was, you know, I was at the beach with my family, with a bunch of my family who does not believe in God the way we do. And I'm just cracking up because I was like, I could not believe it. Like who would drop out of, of worship school? I just didn't see how it was possible. So um, they basically say, like, decide right now or we're giving your spot away. So I was like, I call Hallie and we're like, are we doing this? So basically I just knew, like, it wasn't an option. I had to do it. And I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I knew that it, I had to. So we applied. We had to get, like, a pastoral rack. We had to get all these things, you know, get all of our ducks in a row. So we did it really, really quickly. And... Um, it seemed to be extremely fiscally irresponsible, but I kind of went for it anyway and just was like, you know what, if this, this is going to work out. This is God. I knew it was God. So um, we get accepted officially on the 25th. Um, and again, I just like am laughing <laughs> like the whole time. You know, I'm just like delighting in the ways that God's surprising me with this. Um, so we p- start planning frantically. And... Because we had been accepted so late, I wasn't really expecting us to find a good place to live. Like, we were on Airbnb looking for places, and everything that looked livable was, like, taken or whatever. Um, but eventually we did find a place, and it was beautiful, had a pool. The owners were so nice. And after a conversation with the owner, we found out that she had actually turned down six people before she accepted us to stay at that house. So God had saved us a house, <laughs> which was really cool. Um, and that house actually ended up being a huge blessing because um, the one day we came back for lunch and the cleaner was there. And um, we had an incredible encounter with him and the Holy Spirit right there in the middle of the driveway, 115 degrees. Um, he had been... Stop crying. You're making me cry. <laughs> He had been um, he had been in the ministry. He had gone to Bethel Worship School Ministry for three years, and he had been ministering, traveling around the world. And he um, had been discouraged and actually stopped pastoring because um, of some jealousy and resentment that got in about the gifts that were on his life. And he actually stopped pastoring. So we were able to pray over him and speak some things into his life, which I don't know. I hope we I hope we hear from him because it would be really cool. But then he was able to speak some things over us as well and confirm some things, and it was just a really cool moment. 
Um, so that was the house situation. So he opened up a spot, which didn't seem possible. He saved us a house, which didn't seem possible. He, you know, with the help of you all, your generosity, we got everything paid for. So it was just such a blessing. But I still had an issue with my summer job. I had a, um, five weeks of teaching over the summer. And I was like, well, I'm kind of on a roll, so let me email and see if they'll still let me work my summer job. Because, <laughs> you know, when it's seasonal employment, they don't really want you to be gone two of the five weeks that you're supposed to be there. So I was kind of expecting, okay, well, maybe they'll say, no, thank you, we need you to be here. You know, and then I would have to figure something else out. But I sent in a quick email, and they said, no problem, we'll, rev- we'll remove those two weeks from your schedule, and you can just work when you get back. So I still had a summer job. <laughs> So then, um, sorry, I'm trying to make this quick. I don't want to take a bunch of your time. But we were registering for classes. The classes were coming out. Um, the registration was opening, like, West Coast time. So we, it was, it was really late. So I wake up the next morning, and all the classes I really wanted were full. And so I signed up for ones that I thought, you know, these are still be good. But it just, like, I felt unsettled because I was reading the descriptions and the titles of these other classes, and I was I knew that that's what my heart needed. <laughs> so I was feeling a little, like, you know, gosh, you know, all the West Coasters got in there and took my classes or whatever. But then um, we got an email the next day, and it's like, oh, actually, we made a mistake. And some people signed up for every single class. So we removed those people, and now the classes are open again, and you can sign up. <laughs> so, you know, it's just like every time I was doubting that something great would happen, like, and I didn't see the way, like, logically, I couldn't come up with the plan in my own head how God would work it out. It just worked out. And it was just so cool how God was delighting and surprising me in every aspect of this. Um, so... You know, we got our classes, we got everything all set up, and you know, the whole time my human brain was trying to think of like logical ways how this would all work, and I, you know, you'd think I would have caught on by that time, but, um, you know, God was just at every turn just surprising me, showing me how He's a limitless God, how He's not, He's not bound by the logical or what we think is possible. And if you're just trusting Him, He can, you know, He can make a way, and it doesn't matter if you see it beforehand. So, um, Luckily, God was just really patient with me and reminding me um, of his goodness. Um, and I'm going to cut this a little bit short because I've been um, talking for a while. But anyway, it was a wonderful time while we were there. Awesome sermons, amazing time of worship, um, really fed my spirit things that I'm still chewing on. Um, and uh, it really just changed my life. But m- more than anything, it changed my perspective. Nothing in the natural has changed about my situation, my job situation, still my job situation, my apartment, my relationships. The things that were troubling me before I left have not changed. But my focus has changed. Um, Seeing who my God is has changed. And things that I knew were true about my God before I left have just become so real to me. Because I know, I know now through personal experience that those things are true, and it's just been such a wonderful, wonderful experience to get to see how He lined it all up and how He worked it all out, and how He's able to do exceedingly and abundantly what we could ask or think. So, um, thank you all very much for your support. We love you all. Our God's a great big God. All right. See, that's why. We do this. 
to be expectant. To expect God to show up and to show out. And the next time you're expecting God, you rehearse, you rehearse, you rehearse, and it's no big thing because you know who your God is. Okay. We've got a couple of prayer requests. One is for Ray. He's not feeling that well. He may be coming down with a little bronchitis and an issue with his back. So we're praying for his healing. Uh, we're also praying for Jim. Jim is going to be having surgery on Tuesday. And, and we're praying for his surgeon, that God is guiding his hands. And, and we're praying that when all of this happens, the recovery time and, and the manifestation of healing is quick. It shows up. Um, by the way, Sticks Childs, uh, you heard him today. I wouldn't have thought that sticks would have been on the sticks today, but you see God showed up and he didn't miss, miss a beat, right? Glory to God. From Miss Ethel, she's got a praise report and it starts off kind of rocky because on Tuesday, let me see what day it was, on Thursday, she left her sunroof open. On Friday, it rained all day. Wet car. Okay. But the praise report is in Philadelphia with a car with its roof open. No one got in the car. No one took anything. So even when we aren't on top of our game, God sends his angels to protect us and to care for us. Right, Sticks? Amen. And the last one I have here is from Bruce. And we all know his praise report because we got a chance, to, especially the guys, um, Sticks, Daryl, and I, we got a, a chance to see him at work for the last time on last Tuesday. So he's praising God for 25 years of working at the bridge and keeping them and protecting them and providing for his family. Hmm, look at God. It's amazing. So when something comes up in your life that you don't know, know God. Expect God because he's here to show up for us. Amen. All right, greet one another in Jesus' joy. Miss Connie.